Welcome, friends and fiends. This is your host, film critic and comedian, Nate Wyckoff. And I'm here to tell you about an exciting giveaway that Warner Brothers Discovery and Colton Classic Films LLC has put together to build your 4K Ultra HD film collection on digital. We are giving away four codes which contain digital 4K Ultra HD versions of Rebel Without a Cause, Maltese Falcon, and Cool Hand Luke. These are films that you absolutely must know as a film buff. You can get this code by being one of the lucky four people we pull from our newsletter list. So go to coltonclassicfilms.com slash newsletter and give us your email and your name and we'll sign you up for the newsletter and we will enter you in the competition. That's all you got to do. So please go ahead and do that. The contest ends on April 30th and we will send out the winning codes on May 1st. Thank you so much for being a listener. And here's your episode of Colton Classic Films Podcast. Welcome to Colton Classic. <laughs> Welcome, friends and fiends, to another mini-sode of Colton Classic Podcast. These are the short, in-between main episodes, uh, episodes we bring you every Friday, where I talk about one-off movie reviews or special reviews of other things or interviews all sorts of cool stuff to tide you over until our next main episode which airs on tuesday at 5 a.m uh, pacific standard time every week i am excited as your host nate wyckoff film critic and comedian i'm always excited and i have with me longtime contributor mandy longley how are you doing mandy i am a desert creature desert creature that's appropriate because for this brief minisode we are talking all things dune and by that i mean Dune in general, but mostly the brand new 2021 uh, Dennis Villeneuve uh, Dune version. I I feel terrible not being able to pronounce uh, the last name properly, but I have a horrible time with it. Uh, Very, very difficult. Can you pronounce Dennis Villeneuve's name? No, it's very French. It's very French, and that is perhaps my weakest language uh yeah i am like i did well in spanish because i am very much a phonetic speller due to some learning disability stuff i have so french like doesn't make sense to me i know it's probably very phonetic for when you understand it but it didn't no couldn't do it yeah totally understandable sorry Um, sorry that's the the lame american excuse well i dennis we are grateful and i will we will talk we'll talk about this of course most probably most high profile recently before this uh dennis directed blade runner 2049 which uh it was quite an impressive feat uh given that blade runner which we've talked about on this podcast is uh, a much older film to receive a a kind of a direct sequel is that's successful is a lot um that's that's a big a big possibly damaging career move if it's not liked um and i'm glad that it was liked so let's look at uh so dune in general so i know you're a big dune fan right i am okay so you've obviously read the book yes i'm due for a reread because it's been quite some time but i have also read i believe everything available in the series in the dune universe including the novels that were actually penned by his relatives or son or something based on yep. notes that they found crammed behind his desk or something. Yep. Ridiculous. Brian Herbert and yeah. Kevin J. Anderson, um, who Kevin J. Anderson has worked both in comics, novels, and a lot of movies. Uh, mm-hmm. So, and yeah, and they did, I think, I don't know how many there were. There's well, they did Quite over, a a, they did over a dozen after his death. And then, mm-hmm. um, and, and of course the author, um, uh, Frank Herbert 
did five, the original five. Um, yep. So there's Dune, Dune Messiah, Children of Dune, God Emperor of Dune, Heretics of Dune, and Chapter House Dune. Now, mm -hmm. if you look online at uh, tons of different, there's been a million different releases of all of these books pretty much, mm -hmm. um, except for some of the later ones have just been released by you know one publisher. They are, are different titles you will find for the same books. My favorite mm -hmm. being uh, Sex Nun of Dune. Uh, I think that was in the UK. I can't remember, I don't even know which of the iterations that was, um, but somebody sent me that and it appears legit, but if anybody has info, send it my way because that sounds hilarious. So Dune is a really, thick ass book. Um, it's like mm -hmm. 450 something pages. And I remember when I first tried to read it when I was younger, um, it was too dense. They go into, mm -hmm. it's, it's very, um, it's, it's, it's sort of, I want to say, I always thought of it as the Dickens of science fiction novels um, because the description is so over the top. But really, I think what lost me in my younger years were the politics because mm -hmm. it is a, uh, Frank Herbert created an entire society that has multiple political parties, each with their own agendas, and they pop in and out uh, at irregular intervals. Um, sure do. And uh, at the same time, those are some of the things that are most impressive about the story. And one of the, I mean, I think when people hear politics and any sort of fantasy, right now they probably think, oh, Game of Thrones, because that was the most you know, recent iteration. And in a way, I can see the parallel that people are drawing. Um, mm -hmm. For my money, Dune uh, is much more interesting because it really is more focused on um, these characters within this empirical system uh, of politics than the sort of, I hate to say, shock value that um, the Game of Thrones franchise across the board is uh, like famous for. Like Game of Thrones was sort of just like we want the power just to have the power or yes. like it's my birthright or like whatever and it just felt it to me I mean I like Game of Thrones I enjoyed it I've read those books as well but it felt like a little more like daytime like uh like Maury Povich or Ricky the Ricky Lake show or something right. where people are up there just like having a family fighty it, it revels in the kind of uh... thing it revels more in the the murder and the sex and the right and, and of course those where, are all where dune things. is like a little more like c-span yes that is a very accurate description and i think that's why dune as a novel is an either love it or hate it scenario mm -hmm. right like you really do either love it or you have no interest and um there's a there's of course the famous the most famous david lynch uh version of uh, film version of dune which was a seriously uh, large undertaking as any attempt at doing Dune was. And that was from, you know, I think 84, um, if memory serves. And that was, I mean, I love that movie. Is it perfect? Absolutely not. It's considered one of the largest money bombs in, in film history. Um, but we have amazing actors. We have an amazing cast. We have Virginia Madsen um, from Candyman. And we had uh, 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 Patrick Stewart was in there, which is great. And we had some really cool effects. Um, the costumes, it just cost a ton of money. Um, but I think the downfall of that film, which most people who are familiar with Dune, the novel in the series, you cannot put the novel Dune into one movie 
and make it satisfying to people who know the franchise because it is a very complicated book and there are many, 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 many characters. Um, and something that people had talked about for a long time after David Lynch's version was doing it as a series, a mini series. And they did that uh, in I think 2000 twice. and twice, Jeez Louise. So they, they there, were, there were quite a few. Uh, is what we're trying know. to say. Maybe it was just once and I'm thinking it's like um well I know uh, that in I believe it was I believe it was two thousand um they did they did Dune also known as Frank Herbert's Dune uh which mm. was a TV miniseries and it was about four and a half hours total. William uh I believe it was William Hurt, right? If I remember correctly. Yes it was. Um so in, you know it was an interesting attempt. There were some things that actually if you watch the new uh 2021 dune film and you watch that one you will see some interesting parallels that i think mainly come from the fact the book is very descriptive so yeah actually one of my notes i wrote down was this like we'll get to talking about like the one that's still in theaters or just came out and they're still in theaters it came out in theaters like less than a week ago uh <laughs> like one of my notes is that, that this was paced and it has the feel of more of like a mini series and something sure. that you would go to the theater to see What's interesting so. about, and, and we can dive in. So that series was interesting, but again, with, with a TV miniseries, the problem then I think is a big part of the problem is the budgetary yeah. constraint. Mm -hmm. um, because Dune, not only is it long and some would say dry, it does have its drier moments. And it's politically so dry. dry. It's really it's dry it's, like a desert. Everything about it, including the visuals are dry. <laughs> um, when you have Dune, it's, it's also very epic spanning and grandiose in scale, design and futurism. Now, if anybody out there uh, loves Warhammer 40,000 and that sort of grim, futuristic, um, uh, militaristic, imperial vibe, and you don't know Dune really well, check it out. Because to me, even before I knew about Warhammer 40,000, I knew Dune. And that was a really great stepping stone into Warhammer 40,000 because it is a grim, sort of frightening, um, big powers that be, uh, world with both quote-unquote civilized people and barbarians and then indigenous people in the middle it's just it's a really wild um sort of bleak future i i also say if you like ridley scott's alien films the, the ones particularly in the future um like <clears throat> uh or or the more recent ones even like prometheus and alien covenant it has this kind of vibe it's not a warm vibe um but it is a very fascinating mix of business and commercialism and politics and empire building and wild frontier on a distant planet. Um, so let's dive right into to this. I'm going to say right away, people would be confused um, by hearing that it's actually called Dune Part One, um, because it was actually, I think, a marketing decision that is kind of brilliant to not say that, because oh. people, uh, yeah, because people don't like to see part one of something because it's like a guess. Like, oh, great. I'm going to be left in the middle of whatever, um, especially mm -hmm. since I think the sequel comes out. It's planned. It's work, being worked on right now, but the plan is for 2024, I think. Oh, um, yeah. And, and so I think that was wise. But when you sit in the theater, it literally comes up doing part one. Now, for fans like, like yourself and myself, I mm -hmm. actually think it's sort of, it's heartening when I found that out because mm -hmm. I'm like, there's, it's just too much. And I don't, what are they going to cut? How are they going to do this? Um, right. Even it, like what, this is almost three hours, almost three hours, two yeah. and a half, three hours, which, so I did my, I did my homework and like, I knew going into it where the movie was going to end. 
So like I saw, I saw like I I, read, I didn't want too many. Like I mean, like you can't really get spoilers. Like you know what you the already know, cast yeah. is. You know who's playing who. Right. Um, and you know the whole plot. So it's like really like the spoilers are like I guess um, almost non-existent. Uh, sure. They're more like pleasant surprises. But like yeah, I went in knowing where it was going to end, and that some of the people who reviewed this like screen it um, said that it felt very abrupt, and it, I believe it was like where it kind of ended and yeah. how they ended it. Um, uh, and it was like a little tongue in cheek. Uh, I believe the last spoken line is something like, "This is only the beginning." And I was like, "You double middle <laughs> finger to the screen! Yeah. Like, are you serious?" Um, but like, just like, just like you did that. Like, you really made that choice. Um, on top of like where you're deciding to end this, which it makes sense because it's just like they ended it right at the end of the exposition. Exactly. Like Act one, end it. Like I'm like, there's no better place for them to end I it. Agree. Like, yeah. So. And I was, actually, sense, I was actually, but people who it to don't be... know this story are probably going to be left feeling very unsatisfied because there isn't that normal arc um, there's a, of a story that we're used to in film. You know, I agree with that, but I because I'd heard from the preliminary um, focus group people that it was very abrupt in its ending, yeah. I was expecting it to be more abrupt, and it is... The story is not, is literally, as you're saying, just starting because as you said, mm -hmm. act one, the exposition is just done um, yep. at two hours and 35 minutes, which is what this film clocks in at. And it's just done, but it does stop at a downbeat as opposed mm -hmm. to um, giving us a, a you know, um, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean 2 flat mm -hmm. end, you know, where you're like, oh, I guess it has to continue. Like, so I think there was some, there's some awareness that, well, it's not gonna feel like a complete story, but it is gonna feel like a complete volume, um, sure, yeah. if that makes sense. And and then mm -hmm. so that does. And so we can just dive into sort of the plot here before we get, because the plot is, it's too complicated to go into all of it. Basically it's the story of, uh, it's a Harry Potter-esque, but in a deep dark world that's very, very different. Um, he, the, the lead character is uh, sort of expected to be the chosen one of a group of clandestine, uh, I guess you call them nuns, uh, who have who have the powers of the voice, which is a mind control power. Um, this boy's mother, uh, the boy is this, the boy is the heir to a house in this world, a very strong uh, house of the empire that's ruled by an emperor who is very jealous and not a very nice person, and uh, the the chosen boy is expected to do all these things. Um, uh, that the nuns have foretold, but the nuns have also helped it along by prepping indigenous people on the planet of Dune and, yep. uh, and, and doing all these things. So um, he's sort of, you're left to wonder a lot of the time if, if he's really the chosen one or if it's just that he's been prepped and moved along in along this path predetermined mm -hmm. by people who control the world behind the scenes. Like the whole, yeah, and there's like, I mean, if from the books, they're very, very, like, there was just one little change that they made that I was kind of pissed off about, but uh, they, um, they've had, like, this thousands of years of breeding programs to produce uh, this person, this male, because uh, they only generally produce females, and somehow they can choose what they're going to have for a baby, which is amazing and very science-fiction. <laughs> um, but like they said uh, that Paul's mother, Jessica, chose to have a boy from her arrogance 
that she could produce this like amazing person that they were trying for but like in the books it's really like more clear that she did it out of like um love and um conflict like she was really torn about doing it but her um the duke really wanted a son to continue his house Mm -hmm. and she felt very conflicted about you know not producing the female child and they they really made they really just came straight out with being like oh you're arrogant you think you could do it Mm -hmm. like you did it and she's like oh can you tell me that i'm wrong and i was like that's not right but literally like basically everything else was right yeah i'll let him i'll let him get away with it because it's pretty complex i wondered about that too and i feel like there were two i my logic for why they probably did that and not mm-hmm. to say it's better or worse. I think it could work either way. But two reasons. One, controlled breeding is really still taboo to us, even though it's, mm-hmm. of course, what we as a species do, right? You have children with the person of your choice. That is mm-hmm. what we do. But when it's done by a system, it calls back to uh, um, terrible things in the history of humankind, like selective breeding of slaves and things like that. So I think, I think that's possibly one reason why they were like this is something we can just push out um Mm -hmm. and also i imagine the bigger selling point from a narrative structure is that it allowed them to give um to to give uh jessica the the mother of Mm -hmm. of paul atreides that moment of like strength because she is a very Mm -hmm. strong character and it was really nice to see her have so much of this film um because yeah, I, I really like that like she became much more of kind of like a main character yeah the way that they um they decided to script this and edit it um and i also really enjoyed like the complex presentation of her as mm-hmm. kind of the anxious mother but the confident and well trained um uh oh gosh benny Gesserit. Yeah. So she's like which very is the, much the like, nun group yeah the, the, the yeah the nun groups it was like the two sides so mm-hmm. like i thought that was really cool because i can't really remember seeing her so scared like literally crying literally like shaking yeah. with fear like in the other portrayals on film of I that agree. character and i thought it was a really um interesting way for them and to even in the book right like even in the book i didn't maybe because you're reading it also and it's got a somewhat sterile presentation in the book like we said like you said c-span um yeah we don't get that but when they put a characterization in that i really liked it and it makes it even more sort of as it goes on of course uh rebecca ferguson plays um lady jessica and she's does a great job she played rose the hat in dr sleep um she's been a lot of stuff very strong actress um and then timothy chalamet uh, however you choose to pronounce his last name, who plays Paul, um, who I think did a pretty good job. They they gave him kind of a hard job. And so to stand out is, is good because he has to do a lot of mugging, basically. He has a lot of looking at things. Um, there was one particular smirk that they had him hold on for a while that really bothered me in it, but I don't <laughs> think that was his mistake. Um, uh, I, I can't even remember what it was. It was just a very like weird, like, why is this on screen right now? And I saw it in IMAX, of course. So I was like, why is this the entire screen right now um was but, it when he was trying to decide what to say to um Janie yes yes because so. yeah. I was just like oh he was it's just like you're like oh I was going through like all the different things he could choose to say to her and then he's just I think he ultimately decided like it doesn't matter because I kind of know what the ultimate futures are and it was gonna and it's work yeah itself out. and it's interesting yeah. that you that you mentioned that aspect of that because um 
the story because they've given lady jessica a strong part and paul yeah. of course gets a strong part because he's you know the lead the potential chosen yeah. one um when they actually are on their own together because there's this great mm -hmm. tragedy another house tries to take over their house um at the emperor's pushing to because the house of Trades is too strong and he's threatened by them we get this moment where they're cast aside together right and they end up going to um to try and find the native people of this planet which have been subjugated for a long time uh and there's all of a sudden this butting of heads right because paul knows that he's part of his life is is not was not under his control right like who is right as a kid but he's had he's been expected to do things or be things that he didn't really understand in addition to the fact that well, what he did it's know interesting that you say that because like we keep talking about him as the lead as like the main character but like in this part of the story he is not no not he's not the main character yet exactly. he's being set up by all of this all these politics and yeah. plans of other people to become this central figure which he is then at odds with forever and I, I loved the scene where he was very much at odds and like freaking out like asking someone to help him like when they were in the, the tent underneath the sand yep. dune he was just like save me from this because like my option is to die like yeah. you know and he knew mm -hmm. that and he was like what do I choose like I'm not going to choose to die or like he chose like he didn't choose to die mm -hmm. uh, but he knew that that was like it's well, you know kind of it's a turning point fascinating too as you say that because that is totally true and that's why i think his role acting wise was probably so difficult or it looks yeah. difficult is because it's like how do i take out the majority of the screen time yet not actually be the focus in be some the ways character. Yeah. right um, or be the driving right like and that's the um, impetus he, of the storyline yes exactly right? it's sort of a it's an awareness of the pollyanna problem like so instead of being a problem it's actually an intentional device in the story like part of his development is being in this period of complete lack of control over his circumstance mm -hmm. um and i like that and then the choice to end the movie where he kills uh the what are they called they're bedouin basically Furman, Furman yeah. right yeah. um the, the native Fremen. uh the yeah Fremen. that's it yeah um they're they're the the native people who've been subjugated by the empire for decades and he ends up killing one of them because they challenge him to a duel of the death and when he kills him then he becomes an honorary member of i don't even think it's honorary he really is a fremen at that point of course mm -hmm. as far as yep, he's concerned. taken in they're like a life for a life like right and here <laughs> which is a cool idea because it's sort of um it's like it's a it's an extreme take on the uh, hospitality idea of, of of various cultures here on earth yeah. um and so i really liked that but that's the first time that he really has control and even then he has visions of it although those are suspect at that point in time um because what we see is not necessarily what he's well, i think like his whole the whole like what they're so excited about is he had the potential of seeing many paths Mm -hmm. versus single pass and like I, I think they did a fairly good job of showing that in the film in the film because they didn't like his his visions don't always come true and he specifically says that like mm -hmm. oh to the things you like uh when the reverend mother asked him mm -hmm. like oh to the things that you see do like do they always come true and he was like no not really so I think that's like a hint at like the many paths um 
you know, part of his. It's a cool um, device. Yeah. Because it sets us as the viewer on totally mm -hmm. different paths at certain points. Yeah. Um, and I hadn't, I, I literally have actually the unabridged audio presentation, the single reader one, which is long out of print. Yeah. <laughs> I love this one um, of the book. And I was my intent to, at first, to listen to it before from the film. But I was like, no, actually, I don't want to, because I want to watch the film without having it that fresh. And now that I'm going back through the yeah. novel again, I'm like, oh, this is interesting how they decided to do this, because I like what you're saying. They do have things that don't occur in his mm -hmm. in his visions. They're similar, but they don't occur. And there's particularly the moment when he becomes a Freeman. It's it's almost it's a shock because you're like, mm -hmm. that can't happen this way. Um, and but of course, mm -hmm. it, it does. And and he knows that. Right. He mm -hmm. knows it's, it's that turning point where all of a sudden he realizes or he's like, I have the reins now. And that's when the film right. chooses. I did end. really like that. It's like he steps into control mm -hmm. and like everyone else is, is you're like, oh, now everyone else is going to be like a supporting character. Like, and it, uh, here we go. You There's know. so much to talk about with this film, but I just want to touch yeah. on before we wrap up here, I just want to touch on two other things. Um, one of which is is the rest of the cast is very solid in this, particularly the villains. First, we have Oscar Isaac, who plays his father, um, uh, Leto Atreides. And I actually, I have not always been the biggest fan of Oscar Isaac, not because he's not a decent actor, but I often think it's kind of bad form to step out of a role and then immediately turn around and talk shit about the role you just played, um, which he did quite a few times about uh, Star Wars. It is what it is. Frankly, the problem was is his character should have been written out of the Star Wars series and have give someone else a bigger voice, um, like the, the female leads and things like that, but whatever. Uh, that's my personal opinion. Uh, but he does a great job in this. He's very likable. He's a very kind father and you really like him. Um, Zendaya, of course, is promoted heavily in this film. Interestingly enough, she's virtually not in this film. Um, she's almost entirely in flashbacks. And then we get less than 10 minutes, I think, of her actually on screen in the present time. She plays Shawnee the, the Freeman. Um, but, you know, she does, for what she does, she does great. She just doesn't have to do a lot but look. Um, but that is also one of her skill sets. Um, Jason Momoa, we talked about this. He plays Duncan Idaho, the, uh, the, the weapons master, basically, of House of Trades. Out of place um, would mm -hmm. be my, and he, I love Jason Momoa. I absolutely love him. He's sort of given the, the, good, bo the good old boy character in this, and it just does not fit um, like, next it's to. Just, it, it's too modern, or like it's agreed. too of this casual. moment. Yeah. Casual, yeah. like, yeah um it, it did not and I we can not like it we can see the alternative because josh brolin is in it as well um as a, a, a i don't know if he's a lieutenant i can't remember what his actual role is but he plays gurney halleck who is a an weapon, assistant. weapons master okay yeah he's an or, assistant yeah. and so and he's very much of the film of the the status of the house and, and I, I think they tried to bookend the two of them. Like yeah. They're like, oh, we're going to face Moe. be like the super casual, like friendly, like not goofball exactly, but like big brother. And yeah. then we're going to have like a way the other end, like the super rigid, like Bible quoting, yeah. poetry quoting, yes. other end of that. It's and too... like Paul's in between the two of them as like the two people that are basically teaching. We don't have enough to, time to fight and strategize, but whatever. But like I didn't both of them rubbed me the wrong way. Like I, kind of how they came off. It it was one of those rare cases where I was like, 
it probably would have been better if they literally did combine those two characters and or give you know duncan the role of gurney in addition or gurney the role of duncan and just do away with that but it is what it is they're both great actors but i agree that they did not fit in especially amongst rebecca ferguson's strong character and timothy Mm -hmm. chalamet's like um you know sort of staring youth um but the real uh I mean, this, the cast is amazing. Um, we have uh, Chang Chen, we have Javier Bardem, we have, as I said, Joff Brolin. We have Stellan Skarsgård as Baron Harkonnen of, of House Harkonnen. And he is, I love him anyway, but he is phenomenal in this as just the most unappealing, upsetting, we don't get much of him. Um, but what little we do between the visual effects where he is enormous and he does not walk, um, he does the hover thing, uh, but the, the little visual touches they have, like when he's hovering to threaten Paul's father, who's been captured, stripped nude and is drugged. Um, he floats over to him, his legs hit the table chair and just like dangle. Like it's this weird, it's this great balance of, of power but also physical uh, atrophy and decadence. And it just shows the hedonistic cruelty vibe. Um, He did a very good job. And actually Dave Batista, who I really love, um, was very good as uh, 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 Rabin Harkin as well, who he doesn't have much of a role, but the the House Harkin and being the sort of ultimate vile, aggressive side of humankind Mm -hmm. um, personified, his choice to have constant open wide eyes constantly looks like he's super juiced right like mm-hmm. his his neck is tight his whole body is tight all the time um it did well and i can't wait yeah, to see perfect. i can't wait to see perfect. what comes in the future yeah i actually thought as just a side as, as the credits were rolling i'm like it would have been interesting to switch jason momoa and dave batista's casting Be- mm. <clears throat> because i think you could have actually, I think Dave Batista, maybe with his mannerisms, might have actually been able, especially after watching Army of the Dead, he might have been able to carry a little bit more uh, of the timeness, as you mentioned, the mm-hmm. role. And Jason Momoa could have then, it would have been a different um, mm-hmm. uh, a Robin Harkin, but, not- but it would have, but that? it maybe would have worked okay. Um, you know we don't get to see we don't get to like we don't get to see the other brother Mm-mm. in this this yeah and that's who i always think of the mm-hmm. two of them um, and it was just interesting so yeah. i and i was i'm pretty i'm pretty happy overall and the other thing i want to mention aside from casting as well is the visuals that was the big question and it was mm-hmm. one of the reasons why i wasn't sure i was going to like this and it's because i put this next to eternals marvel's upcoming feature that's getting mm, mediocre reviews um deserts are hard to make fascinating especially when everything is gray um or everything is is brown or tan we had that same problem with uh, i mean david lynch had that problem as well and his alternative was to add strong colors in the imperium or in the imperial end of things um and uh we of course the the famed unmade um is it jodorsky uh, dune that his his vision was bright colors and all the imperial ships ge- geometrics and bright colors and it would have been an interesting choice and this one seemed like a more standard choice but i i i 
I was blown away. Um, yeah, no, it, it felt like almost like how if something's extremely expensive, it becomes understated again. Yes. Like extremely like rich in substance. It gets like simplified down to looking like very um, unostentatious. And like this, this movie has it all the way through. Like yes. the production quality is amazing, it but is. it's so so much of it's understated until you really sit back and think about it. Like the whole Caladan design was stunning. Yes, it's stunning. It's like this very wealthy, influential, successful family, and they live in these open, like empty, ancient halls mm-hmm. of creaking wooden floors and rough like almost like scottish landscapes i think they actually they they filmed it in norway so like in the fjords or something like yeah but like their ships are hidden underwater so it's just like the the eastern yeah the eastern european vibe is very strong yeah um but you know like it it's like a huge choice and then like you don't see a lot of the harkonnen kind of like you just get these tiny little glimpses like mm-hmm. you see their whole like, world once in one small view basically yeah but you see like it like you see like these creatures that they've warped oh and, yeah like nastiness <laughs> but it's just like almost again like in an empty room and you just yep. see these small little bits like you're not um being oversaturated with detail uh like a lot like a lot of movies I today agree. seem to go in that end i agree and the ships call to the same thing that you mentioned they're very um the trades ships are incredibly angular very geometric they are shapes they are minimalist um and then you get um like the the harkonnen ships which are um they are they they almost they're they're more rounded organic and i i like the vibe where trades is this is the way we will do things and we think it's all about the thought behind the action whereas harkonnen is complete organic animal cruelty right Mm -hmm. like it's just that that is what they are and so when their ships looked almost organic with a lot more curves round almost um Mm -hmm. they reminded me of lungs right like these Mm -hmm. sacks on the sides of 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 a metal it's very interesting and i it was clear that everything was thought about and i loved it and the stretches of desert sand did look absolutely beautiful the sandworms which everyone wants to see i thought it was prudent and bold of them to not overuse them and not mm-hmm. give us a true full view of a sandworm we see the mouth um it has like braille teeth much more realistic probably if you're going to talk mm-hmm. about then say um you know some of the other iterations um and they're massive and we see um very near the end we see um a fair and whiting one as they do uh, and, but we don't really see that classic image of one bursting out of the sand, its head completely in the air. You know, you just don't see that. Um, and it was okay. I didn't see that, but I know I'm going to see that. Uh, mm-hmm. and I thought that that was a, an interesting choice because, you know, giving it all away at the beginning, they decided they didn't have to, and it would be stronger mm-hmm. later, but we got enough to be interesting. Yeah, no, I thought they did really, really well. They did really well. So, I mean, I'm just going to say, I, I absolutely was in love with this movie. I expected to be underwhelmed or perhaps a little disappointed. And uh, I will say one more thing. 
without the soundtrack, the visuals would not have been so amazing. And Hans oh, Zimmer's okay. soundtrack was oppressive, occasionally primitive tribal um, uh, con uh, concussive instruments, um, as I call it, like just absolutely powerful. And I, I, I was, there's scenes where we just stare at scenery for a mm -hmm. few seconds, uh, you know, stage minutes. And it's okay because the music is telling us everything to feel and it works so well. And again, I don't usually recommend IMAX because I don't think that it's most Oh, this film. is a film, This I was going to say like that's my kind of closing thing. But like I watched this film in the theater. It's like mm -hmm. I waited two years to see it. This is the only film I've actually gone to theater and to see in two years mm -hmm. or more. Um, and then I watched it again at home. No, I know, mm -hmm. like a second viewing. You have it is on HBO feelings Max. About yep. things. It's on HBO Max, it's available. But I, it was like, I honestly, I was almost bored. I mean, like I knew what yeah. was going to happen and it is very yeah. drawn out. But like, it, it is immersive. If you were going to see this, go see it in the theater. Yeah. And, and I also watched it at home again. And I ended up after the first 10 minutes, if that, yeah. I ended up putting on headphones with it. Yep. Um, I watched on the big screen with my PlayStation 5 headphones there because the sound was so critical and hearing anything else, even the, the hollowness that happens when you kind of watch something on a screen at home compared to the theater, it, was, it didn't work. And so that's how I watched it. And I think that's the second best way to do it. But I agree. Mm -hmm. I mean, see it in theaters if you can, because there's, it's, it's more than the appearance of the parts. Um, I think that it's really immersive. And once you're immersed in it, I was hooked. I was like, this could go on for another three hours and I'm here, I'm here for it. Um, so anyway, I think that about wraps it up. I think we've given uh, 2021's Dune a big thumbs up. And uh, thankfully it did well enough that they are certainly working on part two right now and everyone involved is excited and I'm excited. Um, so yeah, so thanks for talking with me, Mandy. And uh, we'll wrap up this extra long mini sode of Cult and Classic podcast where we talk all things Dune. Please, please leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Write us uh, to tell us how we're doing. If you have a recommendation, if you disagree, if you agree, anything you want, send it to Cult and Classic Podcast at gmail.com. Also, you can DM us on Instagram at Cult and Classic Podcast and on Facebook, Cult and Classic Podcast. And to play us out, as always, is the Chud with All About Evil. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to Cult and Classic Podcast. This podcast is important to me, but what's more important are the rights, privileges, and freedom from violence of everyone in this country and in this world. And that means supporting Black Lives Matter. If you'd like to make a donation, please go ahead and visit cultandclassicpodcast.com where we have a list of places you can donate and help out. And please stay safe.